Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unchained, your no-hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin, author of The Cryptopians. I started covering crypto six years ago, and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the April 8th, 2022 episode of Unchained. If you're frustrated that your bank account isn't crypto-friendly, it's time to make a change. On Juno is a powerful new checking account that lets you buy, spend, and earn in crypto. It's free to open an account and even comes with a metal card. Download the OnJuno app today. With the Crypto.com app, you can buy, earn, and spend crypto in one place. Download and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. Galaxis. Create unstoppable communities by issuing NFTs with interactive, dynamic utility traits that allow any creator to engage with, reward, and monetize their following. CoinChange is the easiest way to earn passive income using crypto. You can safely deposit cash or cryptocurrencies to earn up to 20% annual yield. There is no lending or market risk, just simple, high-return yield farming. Create an account today at trydefi.cc unc and receive 40 USDC. That's trydefi.cc unc. Today's guest is Kevin Zhou, co-founder of Galois Capital. Welcome, Kevin. Hey, Laura. How's it going? Thanks for having me on. This was a pretty dramatic week in stablecoins. On Monday, a stablecoin called Neutrino Dollar, or USDN, lost its peg, falling to a low of 68 cents. Why don't you begin by telling the listeners what USDN is and how it works? Yeah, so uh, USDN is Neutrino Dollar. It's basically a stablecoin that's pegged to the US dollar, and it's um, an integral part of the Waves ecosystem. The way it works is that the creation, uh, the minting or redeeming of USDN is done through burning. Uh, so if you want to create USDN, you burn waves. You know, you burn an equivalent dollar amount of waves to get an equivalent dollar amount of USDN. And the reverse is true. When you want to redeem USDN, then you redeem it for waves. So for every X amount of USDN that you burn, you get uh, X dollars amount of waves back. This is what we would call an algorithmic stablecoin. And algorithmic stablecoins have historically had trouble. So in this case, how and why did USDN depeg? Yeah, so it was uh, for a number of reasons. But the main reason is that uh, people found that on-chain, there was a really large address that was doing uh, what we call recycling, right, or leveraging. And the way that that works is that, and, and many people think that this is the Waves team themselves uh, that was doing this. And the way that works is, you know, you first, you start with USDN, you put it into a Vira's and Vira's is basically like the Aave of, uh, of Waves. So it's a borrow lending platform. You can deposit, uh, you know, USDN over there, get some yield. Um, you can borrow other types of assets like USDC, Tether, 
Vera's itself, Waves, a lot of different assets. So the way that this loop works is that USDN is first put into Vera's um, as deposit. Uh, and then from that, they're able to borrow uh, hard assets like USDC and USDT. They use that then to buy Waves and then use the Waves to convert it to USDN through the mechanism that we talked about right before. And then redeposit that USDN back into Vera's, completing the cycle and continuously do this until basically all the deposits for USDC or USDT um, are depleted because then the cycle can't continue anymore. So basically there was a lot of this recycling going on and that's what's been causing uh, this huge pump in the price of waves. And then afterwards, uh, at some point, you know, there are a lot of people on Twitter, for example, like Xerox Hams, for example, um, a lot of people have pointed this out, uh, which is that, you know, this whole thing is unsustainable because at some point, the whole thing has to come come back down once uh, this cycle stops because of the running out of uh, of the deposits of USDC and USDT. And also on top of that, you know, there's there's more to the story because you know Sasha comes out, you know, who's the uh, the, the founder of Waves, and he starts uh, you know re- uh, putting together this conspiracy theory that it's actually like Alameda that's causing a lot of like problems for the for the Waves ecosystem, and uh, saying that oh you know these these guys are really short you know, and uh, he put out a proposal. Uh, for a governance vote, which was basically, you know, without getting into like all the nitty gritty, the, the idea of it is that it would make it harder for uh, shorts and it would be more possible for them to get liquidated because he wanted to liquidate the shorts. Uh, unfortunately, it's kind of backfired because Alameda responded in saying, uh, we're not actually just naked short on on, on, on waves uh, or USDN. Really, they have this like hedge play that's going on where they're taking out a borrow, uh, you know, of uh, waves. And, and to short it, but at the same time, they're long the perps. And the reason that they're doing that is that there's some basis to collect in between. In other words, like the funding rate uh, was very favorable in this kind of hedge trade, right? So they're not actually having any net kind of exposure on waves. They're, they're really just doing this kind of hedge play. And then on top of that, then the community um, also had a backlash against uh, Sasha saying that, you know, we can't just willy nilly, you know, liquidate shorts just because they're short, right? I mean, it's just a, you know, it's a fair short. I mean, they want to express that bet, whether it's, um, you know, an, an actual short or whether it's a hedged bet, you know, regardless, uh, that's, that's their, that's their right to do that. And we shouldn't just change up the protocol rules just so that we can squeeze the price higher. So I think overall ended up um, backfiring on them. Uh, and then, uh, from sort of the revelations of this recycling, which is unhealthy, uh, generally considered unhealthy and generally considered, uh, you know, th- these, these kinds of prices. Uh, that the waves pumped to was considered generally inorganic. Then basically all this stuff have, had to go get uh, get sold down. And then on top of that, there's some unwinding effects where you know as as wave starts collapsing in price, you know you know trust in the system, uh, you know starts to get depleted. Um, there's a lot of circular effects. Just overall trust, you know trust kind of erodes, and a lot of other people start selling too. So that kind of compresses the price. Yeah. So that's how it it got depegged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's um, the reason that waves ran up and then crashed, and then the depegging itself is that you know at some point, if if you're looking for an exit from this sort of sort of like spiraling or failing system, uh, there's two ways to do it if you have USDN, right? One is to convert it to waves and sell the waves, and the other is just to sell the USDN. So depending on whether the mechanism is gated or not, and you know we can talk about like uh, Luna and, and, and Terra later. But depending on whether it's gated or not, if there are very strict restrictions on just how much USDN you can get out into waves, then the USDN itself depegs. As long so that's sort of like the the end state. The end state is where there's not enough liquidity uh, in waves itself, or the convertibility between USDN and waves uh, gets um, short circuited somehow, 
and then the, the coin itself, the stable coin itself, de-pegs. Otherwise, uh, people would just convert it, uh, convert the stable coin two ways, and then get out uh, through that angle. So essentially, though, like people wanted to sell out of USDN and they couldn't. And so then they were willing to sell it at lower and lower prices. Is that basically what caused the DPEG? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's basically there's, there's two outflows for capital uh, in that kind of system, either through waves or through USDN, right? So the DPEG happens because there was not enough bandwidth uh, to, go through, uh, to, to go through waves. Okay. Yeah. I mean, such a fascinating story. Yeah. I was looking at the comments on the proposal. So by the way, the wave CEO is Sasha Ivanov and Alameda Research is um, the market maker associated with FTX founded by the CEO of FTX, Sam Bickman fried And um, I saw that the comments on the Vires proposal was like, this would basically mean because it's supposed to be a borrowing and lending protocol and people were like okay if this goes through nobody's going to use this <laughs> so um so i mean it was it was fascinating but in general you know we've as i mentioned earlier we've seen so many of these algorithmic stablecoins depeg so why is that so common yeah so i think i think the idea is that you know in in crypto there's a lot of different ways to make money and i think what people have found is that running sort of like grifts or scams generally is is a good way, at least in the short term, for these founders and these um, very short-term oriented investors uh, to make money. And uh, at least historically, even though um, almost every single algorithmic stablecoin, which was not backed by collateral, has so far failed, you know, maybe with the exception of Luna so far, you know, it's, it's still like uh, in the process of doing that because of these like giant pump and dump cycles, um, a lot of the founders and the investors are able to make a lot of money. So even though there's a lot of failure and even though everybody kind of understands the risk with, with sort of like the advent of new capital coming into the space and a lot of new people coming into the space, you know, I think there's always like, you know, a greater fool to sell this kind of product to a repackaged version of this product tool. And as long as I think these founders and these investors continue to make money, I think that'll continue to happen. Um, so I think it's, it has to do with, you know, building a mechanism, which is, basically an obfuscation of basically trying to mint money out of thin air, right? Through like the very, very complicated contraption or mechanism or some kind of Rube Goldberg machine. Uh, at the end of the day, you can't really generate value from nothing, right? And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, ultimately these things fail. Now, each one has a different mechanism, right? So if you look at like, for example, basis in the past, you know, Ample4, ESD, DSD, Ohm to some extent and time, and now like Luna Terra and Waves, you know, all of these have slightly different mechanisms. But I think, in my opinion, they all reduce down to kind of the, the same thing, which is that you're trying to get this weird flywheel going uh, while uh, basically minting money out of thin air. So you basically, it sounds like you feel that UST then runs the same risks that eventually it will depeg. Like the way you're talking, it sounds like you feel like all of these algorithmic stablecoins will fail and just none of them will ever succeed. Yeah, I think at least all of these types of designs, right? So like this seniorage-based kind of like supply contraction, supply expansion type of designs that don't have any external backing uh, underneath it or any kind of external collateral, uh, I think pretty much those will all fail. That could be wrong. I mean, maybe somebody comes up with some genius design and some kind of like skyhook thing that actually works. Uh, but for the most part, it's all basically uh, variations of the same theme. Right. So because of that, yeah, 
But then so UST, since it now is going to be partially backed by Bitcoin, are you saying that then you don't think that UST is likely to fall into the same trap? Uh, yeah, I think the, the risks are still there. I actually think the risks are much bigger than waves just because of the size of it. Um, you know, there's like 16.6 billion uh, UST in circulation. I think 12.2 or 4 uh, billion is now stuck in anchor. So I, I think it's a, it's a much bigger problem. But I will say that I think the backing of, um, you know, having some kind of Bitcoin uh, hard collateral or even just like other types of stable coins or even like avalanches they just did, uh, basically any kind of backing, which is not circular, uh, I think would be helpful. So I think they're going in the right direction. I just I just disagree about the size. I don't think a three billion uh, amount of Bitcoin is enough of a cushion on this kind of uh, unwind on on Anchor. And Anchor is basically the bar and lending protocol. It's the Ave of of, of the Terra chain. Yeah, yeah, and the yield on that right now is about twenty percent. Uh, so okay, so in a moment we're going to talk about a potential plan to try to make sta- these kinds of stable coins stronger. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. It's time to bring Wall Street to Main Street. CoinChange is democratizing access to wealth management with low-risk, high-return, passive income through DeFi. It's simple. Just deposit your crypto into a CoinChange high-yield account to earn more over time. Your yield is paid out daily and can be withdrawn anytime. CoinChange's yield farming doesn't utilize lending or other risky strategies. No minimums, no obligations, just high yield. It's time for a change. Create an account today at trydefi.cc unc to receive 40 USDC. That's trydefi.cc unc. It's becoming clear that utility is the future of NFT technology. And no launch platform does utility better than Galaxis. Anyone with a community can now engage with, reward, and monetize their following by issuing an NFT collection with dynamic utility traits. These traits can be customized to the needs of a particular community and change over time, allowing the creator to sustain a prolonged relationship with their most valuable customers. Visit galaxis.xyz to learn more. There's been a lot of buzz around getting paid in crypto, and it's easy with OnJuno, the all-in-one crypto and banking app. You can set up a direct deposit and earn a portion of your paycheck in crypto. You get 10% back when you spend USDC with the OnJuno card, as well as a 4% yield on your USDC. Not to mention, you can buy crypto with zero fees. All of this from an FDIC-insured checking account. OnJuno integrates directly with your direct deposit system, has no transaction fees, and is already being used by employees of some of the biggest tech companies like Google, Apple, Amazon, and Microsoft. It's free to open an account, and today you can get $50 added to your first direct deposit using code LAURA. Download the OnJuno app today. That's O-N-J-U-N-O, and use code LAURA for $50. Back to my conversation with Kevin. So as we've been talking about, Terra might be feeling the heat given uh, what has been happening with these other stable coins. And this week we did see a proposal from someone on the Terraform Labs team, someone named E. Zan, who proposed something called Forpool. What is Forpool? And also, since it uses Curve, why don't you explain what Curve is as well? 
Uh, yeah, so uh, Curve is basically an AMM, and it was originally used for stable swaps. And uh, what stable swaps are uh, is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a way to basically um, transform one stable coin to another with uh, fairly low slippage. So generally, you know, I, I think it depends on sort of like the context that, that your viewers have. But, you know, assuming um, some understanding of Uniswap, it's basically like Uniswap, but there's a lot of flatness on the bonding curve. Uh, where it's, you know, kind of close to balance, when the pool is kind of close to balance, hence allowing for really large sizes of stable coins to be swapped against each other at very minimal slippage and minimal fees. So that's sort of what, what, what the curve model is. And, you know, the idea behind four pool, I think before that we should, we should talk about what three pool is, because it's sort of like the, the, the game plan there is that they want to try and replace three pool, right? So, uh, three pool is a curve pool with the assets of USDT, USDC, uh, and, and DAI, right? And uh, it's one of the most liquid pools uh, on Curve. And it generally, not only is it itself very liquid, but it also functions as a counter asset to some of these other stable coins. So for example, right now, if you wanted to trade UST on Curve, you could go to the UST three pool pool. So that's basically a meta pool. It's a pool that consists of, on one side, an asset UST, and on the other side, this three pool, which is itself a pool, right? So that's what makes it a meta pool. So because of three pools use first as a pool itself, and second, as one of the pairs in a meta pool, you know, it has a lot of use and it has a lot of liquidity. And the idea behind four pool, and this is a proposal and, and basically a partnership uh, between, you know, between the Terra uh, Luna guys and Frax and USDC and UST, uh, as well as Redacted Cartel. And the idea behind this is that they, they want to have these four assets, right? So the, the two kind of centralized stable coins that are big, USDC and USD, Frax, a uh, new algo stable coin, and then uh, UST, Luna's um, algo stable coin. And they want to overtake three pool. They want to make this sort of the de facto, you know, pool uh, where, you know, everybody goes to, everybody uses as a pair in their own meta pool for any new kind of stable coins that come out. And the plan on doing that, uh, and I think it has some merit, uh, which is that they're going to point well, I guess we should talk a little bit about how, how Convex works. So both of these groups, Frax and Terra Luna, have a lot of, of Convex, right? CVX, right? And what that allows them to do is it allows them, uh, we're, we're shortcutting a little bit, but basically allows them to point a lot of the rewards of Curve, right? So for using Curve or staking to Curve, uh, Curve itself gives out CRV tokens, right? As an incentive to provide liquidity. But in order to decide which pool gets how much, there is basically a gauge uh, which is voted on based on, you know, the staked CRV or the VE CRV, vote escrowed CRV that people hold. So Convex is basically a layer on top of that. You know, I mean, long story short, basically governs this kind of voting scheme and can basically increase the yields of certain pools to the detriment of, of other pools. So in that they hold a lot of convex, uh, you know, both the Frax guys and the Luna guys, they have a lot of voting power on making their, you know, their four pool when it comes out, um, have making it have a very high yield. And they think that by having that, they'll be able to attract a lot of capital from other curve pools to stake uh, into their pool, hence drawing liquidity away from three pool and introducing it to four pool. And in that way, um, you know, this is basically what's called the curve wars. In that way, uh, you know, promote the success of you know, increasing liquidity for their individual tokens. Yeah, they they say um, 
that this follows the ethos of stablecoin pegs are stronger together than competing against each other. But you've been very vocal against Torpool and also UST, as we've sort of hinted at um, previously in the discussion. Why is that? Yeah, so I think I should just qualify that and say I have been very vocal uh, against Luna and UST, uh, but not actually against Torpool. I think that is actually a good idea. And I think certainly the buying of Bitcoin collateral, uh, even though it's it's too meager right now, three billion, I don't think is enough. I think it's a step in the right direction. So I, I, I'm actually fully in support of those two proposals. I, I think they're trying to, uh, you know, I don't know if I could say that they're basically trying to cover their asses uh, because things have gotten a little bit too big right now. So uh, I think it's a step in the right direction. But I still don't think that the entire system is solvent. I think that right now on Anchor, which is the Ave of, of the Terra ecosystem, there's a reserve. And there, there, that's basically bleeding out, you know, millions or tens of millions uh, per day. And it's like, uh, it's basically uh, subsidizing depositors to Anchor, right? So if you deposit UST to Anchor, you're getting a 19.5% yield, which is a very high yield, given that, you know, currently there's not many, quote unquote, safe ways to, to farm uh, reasonable, like double digit yields. You know, it's basically a subsidy given out to people who, bring capital, uh, you know, and, and basically uh, lock up UST. And in the hopes that, you know, they think that it, with this marketing spend, they're able to get, they're actually able to get people to actually use UST. And it's just a way to kind of like bring the customer in first, you know, which I, which I don't particularly have a problem with. It's just that you are, they are bleeding a lot of money. And then at some point that yield has to come down, right? Like the, the borrow rate is like, you know, 13%, something like that. Uh, the lending rate is is nineteen and a half percent. So you know, there's literally free money there, right? Like you could you could just you could bond you could bond Luna. This is another, there's another problem, which is the bonded Luna. You can bond Luna. You 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 basically pay thirteen percent, and you can reinvest the UST that you get from bonding the Luna uh, and, and staking it to Anchor, uh, and you can reinvest it into the deposit to just get that extra juice, right? So you know, anytime the deposit yield is higher than the borrowing yield, is generally unsustainable. So that has to come down at some point. I think they're going to gradually do it. Probably the correct choice to gradually do it, but it's just it just won't be enough. I think somewhere between, the, the, I think the the equilibrium yield will be. I think they did some they they, they did some analysis on this. It's going to be somewhere between like seven and twelve percent on the deposit yield. And the question now is basically how much of that UST that's currently locked up at nineteen and a half percent is going to leave that ecosystem once it drops to seven to twelve percent. Right. So what I think is that generously, and, and I think it could be what well, my actual advocacy is way worse, is, you know, much worse than this. But I think generously, nine billion uh, Luna has to leave the ecosystem. Right. So if nine billion leaves and, you know, what are the avenues for it to leave? Well, you know, people can, you know, dump some of it on curve. I mean, but how much can you really do there? Maybe half a yard, you know, 500 mil. Maybe some of it, you know, is just not dumped, right? Maybe people find some other uses of it because their marketing campaign works, right? So, you know, there might be like a bill over there. But, you know, overall, it's just like a lot of these avenues for exiting out of UST, um, there's just not much liquidity there, right? So you're still stuck with multiple billions that need to that need to exit. And they can either exit through the Bitcoin that they bought, this 3 billion, or they can exit through Luna. The 3 bill is covered by, by Bitcoin at 98 cents to the dollar. Uh, you're still left with a lot of you know, UST still multiple billions, maybe four, maybe, you know, 5 billion of, of UST left to unwind. Generally, you know, whenever, you know, and I think we should, we should take a step back and talk about this. Generally, when you buy uh, an asset 
uh, for every dollar that you use to buy it, the market cap goes up by some multiple, right? It's not, it's not one for one, basically, right? If you buy an Apple um, stock, if you put like $100 in Apple, Apple's market cap jumps by more than $100, right? So what, is, what exactly is this multiplier value? Well, they've done you know, historical analysis on, on stonks, and it's uh, basically 3 to 8x, three to depending on uh, the elasticity. For, for crypto, I think it tends to be on the higher side. Uh, and maybe even higher than that. And then for something as reflexive as the design of this algo stable coin, I think it might be even beyond that, right? But even on the conservative side, let's say maybe like an 8x, right? So 5 billion leaving UST through Luna would probably compress the Luna market price by eight times 5 billion, which is maybe like 40 billion. So like, I, I, I see that there could be in my opinion, you know, when, when all of this thing, all of this stuff unwinds, you know, I see that there could be some very serious compression on the Luna price. Now, that depends also on the gating mechanism for how much UST can be minted or burned per day for a Luna. If there can be, uh, if, if they release all the gates, um, then basically it's Luna itself that takes on the brunt of all this selling pressure, you know, market cap tanks. We could see huge drawdowns on the price there. Now, if they gate it and they say, okay, only 100 million UST can exit through Luna per day, well, then if more wants to exit per day, then you start to see UST um, depeg it. So, you know, it's really kind of like a pick your poison. If, if you gate it, then it depegs. If you don't gate it, then the, the price tanks, right? And in the most extreme cases where the solvency of the system itself has come to, you know, uh, comes to question, there might not be enough Luna market cap to be solvent for the entire amount of the UST. UST to exit, right? Because in the absolute worst case, right, let's say that all of the borrows are, all of the deposits and borrows, they're recycled, right? So all this 3.3 billion UST uh, that's borrowed is then re-injected as deposits to, to, to basically claim this hard on the yield. Then basically the amount that unwinds is a 9 billion UST. It's like, you know, 12.2 billion UST plus 4.8 billion of B Luna. Uh, which is bonded, right? Because you need to bond B Luna in order to do the borrows in the first place on this 3.3 billion uh, of UST borrow. So if the unwind is much greater than 9 billion, and uh, you know, we're talking about uh, maybe like 16, 17, maybe 17 billion, and let's say the multiplier factor on selling uh, against market cap is, you know, let's say 10 or 20 or something like that, then the entire system is insolvent. We're not just talking about a crash in the Luna price. It's basically Luna goes to, you know, 0.001 penny, one cent, you know, or 0.001 dollars. And then it goes through hyperinflation to try and create enough Luna for a full dollar for every dollar that exits. And on top of that, UST uh, DPEGs. So in the worst case, all of that stuff goes to zero altogether. Right. So in the best case, we're talking about a massive drop in the Luna price. In the worst case, we're talking about the entire unwinding of the entire system and the contagion effects from that. Right. And namely being that when retail gets burned, first of all, they go complain to regulators. Uh, and then second of all, you know, the, the traditional media isn't as kind as, uh, isn't as kind as you, Laura. You know, they're going to, they're going to take this narrative and they're going to run with it. And they already hate crypto. So they're just going to, they're just going to slam us. They're going to say, Oh, look at crypto is just filled with scams. This, this and that could have a very big chilling effect on the market for a very long time. And, and I, for one, am not that interested in, you know, just bearing with like another two, three year, super cold, you know, crypto winter. So, you know, I think for the most part, we need to diffuse this bomb 
you know, as quickly as possible. If this thing is uh, fated for failure, then we might as well unravel it now. And we should spread the word to unravel it now before it becomes too late. Now, obviously, the counter argument is that, in fact, it is not fated to failure, um, that if they can get enough usage or utility out of UST, then that itself, that circulating effect of the actual stablecoin for its use case will uh, basically cause like a supply sink in UST, and hence it, 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 won't, it won't unravel. I generally don't buy that argument. I think there's no real use for UST right now in size except for farming on Anchor, right? So like you can you can you can literally talk to anybody. I, I, everybody that I know, everybody that I've talked to, many of the firms that are in the space, uh, many of them swinging very big size. You know, there a lot of them are farming Anchor, and you know they they don't even use it for anything else. So, I mean, maybe like here and there for an ICO that's on the Terra blockchain or whatever. But I mean, we're talking like orders of magnitude less, right? Like here in Anchor, we're talking about high single digit billions or to low double digit billions. You know, elsewhere, we're talking about like at most like, you know, double digit millions, maybe triple digit millions at, at best, right? So, you know, we're, we're talking about orders of magnitude difference. So, you know, I understand the play that they're making. They're, they're basically buying time. They're bleeding money. They're paying marketing costs. You know, they're buying time to try and get actual use from this thing. Um, but uh, I just, there's not enough time. And I think, uh, I don't think it'll work. I wanted to ask, so... I, you know, obviously they're not going to cut the yield on anchor, like in all in one go down to 12%. So don't you feel that there would be kind of like a gradual way to do it where you wouldn't have like all these people trying to, you know, close out their positions in, in Terra and redeem for Luna or, or whatever, like is super fast. And so if you sort of ratchet down slowly, wouldn't that be a way of preventing the scenario that you outlined? I agree with you. I think if they if they um, reduce the yield uh, slowly, it'll be better. But overall, the net effect is nearly the same because it's the it's about the amount that has to unravel over time to settle on finally an equilibrium point for what the yield should be on the deposit side, such that the reserve doesn't bleed. So I, I agree that it may be a little bit more gentler, but still, a lot of this money has to kind of leave because if you think about it, there's sort of like marginal sellers along the way, right? Like at at nineteen point five percent. Everybody who's in it is in it, right? At 19%, like some marginal group leaves, right? It might be small, right? But some marginal group leaves, right? And then 18 and a half, then some marginal group leaves. If you sum up all the marginal groups, is that the same effect as immediately taking the deposit uh, yield from 19 and a half to 12, right? So on one hand, I agree with you in the sense that it's not as bad. I think the sum of the, the parts is actually less than having an immediate drop. I think the sum is actually less than uh, than the whole. Um, but I don't think it's that much less than the whole. Okay. Well, this has been, um, incredibly interesting. I guess we'll have to see kind of who ends up being right. Obviously there's kind of a lot of, a lot vested on one particular side. Um, so they're probably, you know, thinking a lot about these issues and maybe trying to take your criticism and improve, um, before anything bad happens. Uh, well, it seems like that already, <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, it's much appreciated. Yeah, yeah. It's been great having you. Thanks so much for coming on Unchained. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Stick around for This Week in Crypto after this short break. Join over 10 million people using Crypto.com, the easiest place to buy, earn, and spend over 150 cryptocurrencies. 
Spend your crypto anywhere using the Crypto.com Visa card. Get up to 8% cash back instantly, plus 100% rebates for your Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime subscriptions. Download the Crypto.com app now and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. Thanks for tuning in to this week's news recap. Ronin will be reimbursing users. Eight days after losing $600 million to the largest exploit in DeFi history, Sky Mavis announced plans to reimburse all affected Ronin network bridge users. Sky Mavis will be raising $150 million in a funding round led by Binance, with participation from Animoca Brands, A16Z, and others. That $150 million in cash, along with balance sheet funds already owned by Sky Mavis, will replace the 173,600 Ether and 25.5 million USDC that was drained from the Ronin Bridge last week in a social engineering attack that saw four of Sky Mavis-run validators and a third-party validator run by AxiDAO compromised. The news comes just a few months after the Wormhole Bridge announced a similar reimbursement funding round from Jump Crypto following a $300 million exploit. In the aftermath, Ronin Bridge will be upgrading its security, which previously relied on only five out of nine validator confirmations for a transaction to go through. According to a Sky Mavis blog post, the new validator group will be upped to 21 validators in the next three months, split amongst various stakeholders rather than just Sky Mavis. Ronin Bridge, which was shut down in the aftermath of last week's hack, will go live after a round of upgrades and audits that could take weeks. Meanwhile, Binance will be supporting ETH withdrawals and deposits from Ronin. Interestingly, the 56,000 ETH drained from AxiDAO will not be fully reimbursed by Binance or Sky Mavis's balance sheet. Instead, Sky Mavis explained, the 56,000 ETH compromised from the AxiDAO treasury will remain under-collateralized as Sky Mavis works with law enforcement to recover the funds. If the funds are not fully recovered within two years, the AxiDAO will vote on next steps for the Treasury. In related news, the Ronin Bridge hacker was active this week, moving roughly $7 million through the coin mixer Tornado Cash. Stablecoins are coming to Bitcoin. Lightning Labs, a Lightning Network developer, announced a new protocol this week, dubbed Taro, which aims to make Bitcoin's Layer 2 solution a multi-asset network, as explained by Lightning Labs CEO Elizabeth Stark in a blog post. In essence, Taro's purpose is to Bitcoinize the dollar, Stark wrote. With Taro, developers will be able to issue assets on the Bitcoin blockchain and then move them onto Lightning for speed and scalability, making use of Bitcoin liquidity to ensure interoperability between assets. Notably, according to Stark, Taro will also allow assets like stablecoins to route through the Bitcoin network via Lightning. Interestingly, Taro was only recently made possible by Bitcoin's Taproot upgrade, which made significant improvements to contracting, security, and efficiency for the chain. Fun fact, the launch of Taro was on April 5th, aka Satoshi's birthday, the same day that Roosevelt ordered US citizens to return gold worth more than $100 for fiat in 1933. Major raises was the theme of the week. Crypto funding continued its rampant pace this week. In conjunction with the Taro announcement, Lightning Labs raised $70 million in a Series B funding round led by Valor Equity Partners and Bailey Gifford. 
Other participants included Robinhood CEO Vlad Tenev, crypto infrastructure firm Nidig, and Brevin Howard. Lightning Labs did not disclose the valuation. Binance US raised a $200 million funding round at a valuation of $4.5 billion pre-money. The block reports that a Binance US spokesperson revealed that the exchange wants to raise more in the coming months and plans to go public in the next two to three years. Near Protocol announced a second nine-digit raise in under three months on Wednesday. The protocol is bringing in $350 million in a round led by Tiger Global to decentralize the NEAR ecosystem. NEAR Foundation announced a $150 million raise in mid-January to support DeFi development. Disclosure, NEAR Protocol is a previous sponsor of this podcast. Boba Network, an Ethereum scaling solution, secured $45 million in a Series A, giving the protocol a unicorn valuation of $1.5 billion. Blockchain security firm Certic announced an $88 million funding round that saw participation from traditional behemoths like Tiger Global, Goldman Sachs, and Sequoia Capital. Certic is now valued at $2 billion. Crypto payments firm Wire was acquired by Bolt in a deal valued at roughly $1.5 billion, reports The Block. The UK plans to be a global crypto leader. On Tuesday, Rishi Sunak, the UK's chancellor, laid out plans to make the UK a global crypto asset technology hub. The UK is set to make moves to regulate stablecoins, introduce an infrastructure sandbox for crypto firms to experiment, establish a crypto asset engagement group, and explore UK crypto taxes. Notably, the UK announced that the Royal Mint would be creating an NFT project this summer. It's my ambition to make the UK a global hub for crypto asset technology, said Sunak. Somewhat contradictorily, The news comes as the UK's Financial Conduct Authority is reluctant to give firms such as Blockchain.com anti-money laundering licenses, leading many firms to pull out of the crypto asset licensing process. Another week, another multi-million dollar hack. Inverse Finance, an Ethereum lending protocol, lost $15 million to an exploit this week, making it the 34th largest hack in the DeFi space, according to Rekt. The manipulation was not a flash loan attack, and was unrelated to Inverse's smart contract or front-end code, wrote the team. Instead, the hack involved a capital-intensive manipulation of the INV slash ETH pair price oracle on SushiSwap. Once the oracle was tricked into showing a fraudulently high price for INV, the hacker was able to borrow $15.6 million worth of DOLA, WBTC, and Wi-Fi. For those of you who missed out on this week's episode of The Chopping Block, I recommend listening as Tarun Chitra and Tom Schmidt do a great job of explaining how the price manipulation worked and how the hacker pulled it off in a single block. The Inverse Finance team has committed to reimbursing all affected users and is currently trying to figure out the most efficient way to repay users without affecting the peg of DOLA, Inverse Finance's algorithmic stablecoin. The headline for this section could have been about a multi-billion dollar hack, according to Open Zeppelin. The security firm uncovered and resolved a bug on Convex Finance that could have resulted in a $15 billion rug pull due to how Convex's multi-sig was configured. Again, for more information, watch this week's episode of The Chopping Block, which talks about how Open Zeppelin forced Convex Finance to add members to its multi-sig before revealing the critical bug. The SEC approved a new Bitcoin ETF, but... 
the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission approved a new Bitcoin futures ETF from Nisi Arca and Tucrium on Wednesday, as reported by Coindesk. Bloomberg senior ETF analyst Eric Balchunas called it a good sign regarding the approval of a spot Bitcoin ETF because previous Bitcoin futures ETFs were approved under the Investment Company Act of 1940, while the Nisi Arca and Tucrium ETF is the first Bitcoin futures ETF to gain approval from the SEC under the Securities Act of 1933. This is a market change. According to an early January thread from Bloomberg's James Seifert, the approval of an ETF under the 1933 Act would hinder some of the SEC's arguments against spot Bitcoin ETFs due to CME futures not being of significant size, subject to manipulation, etc. Interestingly, Seifert notes that the pricing methodology for futures and spot Bitcoin ETFs will be the same, meaning the futures the SEC has approved are based on the pricing from exchanges that they say are subject to manipulation. In related SEC crypto news, SEC Chair Gary Gensler called for further SEC oversight on stablecoins in a speech on April 4th. The three largest stablecoins were created by trading or lending platforms themselves, and U.S. retail investors have no direct right of redemption for the two largest stablecoins by market capitalization. There are conflicts of interest and market integrity questions that would benefit from more oversight, said Gensler. During the same speech, Gensler revealed that the SEC is working with the CFTC to potentially split duties regarding crypto purview. I've asked staff to work with the Commodities Future Trading Commission on how we jointly might address such platforms that might trade both crypto-based security tokens and some commodity tokens, said Gensler. FTX US CEO Brian Harrison told the Decrypt Daily podcast that the exchange is holding back from listing assets due to regulatory uncertainty regarding crypto tokens and securities law, which is spearheaded by the SEC. FTX US only supports 27 assets in comparison to FTX's 322. According to new guidelines, the SEC wants crypto exchanges to treat customer crypto holdings as liabilities on their balance sheet. In related news, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen made her first speech about digital assets on Thursday, in which she called crypto transformative. Bitcoin 2022 Bitcoin's annual conference in Miami took place this week. In an on-brand move, the festivities were kicked off with Miami Mayor Francis Suarez unveiling an 11-foot, 3,000-pound, laser-eyed robot bull statue. The event features speakers such as Peter Thiel, Jordan Peterson, and Jack Mallers. However, one prominent speaker, El Salvador's President Nayib Bukele, canceled his appearance at the event due to unforeseen circumstances in his home country. On Thursday, Bitcoin 2022 experienced its first big announcement when Robinhood Chief Product Officer Aparna Chenapragada told the audience that the trading platform had activated crypto wallet functionality for 2 million customers. Users will now be able to send BTC, ETH, and Doge to self-custodied wallets. Robinhood will also add support for Lightning Network. In other Bitcoin news, two of the most prominent SAT stackers did what they do best this week. They bought more Bitcoin. On April 5th, MacroStrategy, the subsidiary of MicroStrategy, purchased an additional 4,167 BTC, or $190 million worth. And on the 6th, Luna Foundation Guard added roughly 5,040 BTC, or $231 million, to its $1 billion-plus stack. 
In related Terra news, Terraform Labs announced a $100 million token swap of Luna to AVAX on Thursday between Terraform and Avalanche Foundation. Time for fun bits. A novel DAO experiment. TweetDAO caught my attention this week due to a fun twist on NFT utility. The DAO sold a batch of 1,000 NFTs, each depicting the iconic Twitter egg, giving holders the ability to tweet once per day from the official TweetDAO Twitter account, with absolutely no restrictions. As this is crypto Twitter, the content is still a bit unhinged, but somewhat humorous. The NFTs, for those interested, are selling for a floor price of 0.319 ETH. For those who need a smile, I would recommend giving TweetDAO's feed a scroll. It's quite funny. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about Kevin, Galois, and stablecoins, check out the show notes for this episode. Unchained is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, Mark Murdoch, Shashank, and CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening.